I didn't get much sleep last night, as you can imagine, listeners, after yesterday's revelations. I think what is frustrating is, given that I have lied to people in the past now, that people don't believe that the people that I get on the phone are real. They now think that it's me putting on a voice. Elaine messaged and said, Excellent American accent, David. As if the revelations of yesterday weren't bad enough to know that I am being doubted. Could you pick up your bar of breath and the cup so I can put the tray down? Yeah. Oh, oh right. you got it. It's right. oh, Hang on. Don't put anything down yet. Oh my goodness, what drama. But there's very few podcasts could create drama from Welsh fruitcake and chai tea. After yesterday, I thought we would do something a little more sedate. I think I'm being tested. I think the... uh, It's not been a fun day for you, has it? It's not been a fun day. The professor, I think, is doing whatever he can to sabotage me continuing the podcast series at all now. Today, one of the inputs on my sound card has stopped working and it's taken an entire day to try and fix it. I think I've established before that I will just go in very gun-ho when it comes to trying to fix problems. Well, to the point that, I mean, I did something where I I just thought I'm just going to restore factory defaults. Yeah. Which is mostly not the most gun-ho thing. It's not the most risky thing. No, but the trouble was I did that and then that just reset it to things that I didn't want it to set to and then it basically ended up trying to fix one problem and being 10 steps back. Managed to fix all of that, but still could not work out. And the problem was the, I know you want to know what the problems were, my friends. (laughs) The input knob on channel one was not working, whereas it was on channel two, which means I couldn't turn anything up. It got to the point where I thought, it's probably like a, a problem physically with the sound card. And it gets to the point where I just think, oh, well, in that case, maybe I should like try banging the knob and then pulling the knob. And then I thought, maybe I should stop doing that and actually look at the sound card. Oh, has it been a humour there, listeners? Anyway, didn't manage to get it working, but don't you worry about that. I'm a professional. I wouldn't do something silly like spend the entire podcast talking about it. (laughs) So let's move on. So I thought it might be quite nice to have a tea and cake podcast. This is kind of been asked for by Sarah. She did say that she would like a tea and cake and a baking podcast with Ellie. But we don't really have anything to bake at this particular no. moment in time because we made a batter brith the day that you asked for that, Sarah. Yeah. So the batter brith has already been made. I think we have talked before about what a batter brith consists of. Well, just a very quick just recap. A, it's a, a Welsh recap. fruitcake, Ellie. Well, yeah, um, you can do a yeasted or a non-yeast version. And we've never done a yeasted we version yet. And, and we have got a lot of yeast. That sounds wrong. Sounds like I've got a problem that yeah. some cranberry juice for. I managed to get yeast at the shop the, the other day. The music sound very odd because I'm now chewing yeah. by a in the background because these are in my ears as well. Yeah. So we've never done a yeasted version, but maybe we will for a future yeah. special. I think about... we could do really well with that. I reckon we'd rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. It's about half a kilo of dried fruit that gets soaked in tea overnight. Mm. And then you mix it with spice and flour and egg. Oh, and the sugar goes in with the, the fruit. So it's a fat-free one, except we then slather it with butter, so it's not. And you bake it for an hour and a half, and this is, like, one of the best ones I've ever made. Mm. Very pleased with it. And then with it, we've got ruby chai. Oh, and what I did with this one. Talking with my mouth full, sorry. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So normally it's just mixed. Are you dry... humming, what's it called, Heart of Asia? Is that what it's called? I don't know what that is. What's it called? I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. It's called Heart of Asia? Hang on. Yeah, it might be. Hang on. Play Heart of Asia. Ah, this is the one. I mean, this is a dance remix. 
Is, is the original one not called Heart of Asia? I don't know. I wasn't really expecting this when I said just yeah. tea and cake. Tea and cake, everyone. Come on, this is what you wanted, Sarah? I didn't know this was the original. I thought this was a remix of another song. I'm guessing we'll cut to the bit that's recognisable. Ah, you guessed wrong, Ellie. You guessed wrong. <laughs> and I guess you're probably thinking I'm going to point it out me blowing my nose as well, but... No. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't give a damn, Professor. If we both sing along to this, does that make well, it that a duet? Well, that's as a duet, because that's another thing that someone has asked for, as well as a tea and cake special. Claire has asked for Ellie and I to sing a duet. So my question is, what would you like us to sing? Where in a man we're curtailing the podcast in the next few days. What do you want us to sing? Anyway, is Heart of Asia the uh, band that remixed the original song? Or what's the original song called? It's a delightful um, cake, which I got, and I don't think we talked about this, I don't think we talked about Badabrith in much detail, so I'm glad we've remedied this. Yes. Yeah, so I first heard of Badabrith because of the writing of David Nobbs, who wrote, it's all about Nobbs on this podcast, isn't it? He wrote a book, a wonderful book. He actually wrote Reginald Perrin, the original Reginald Perrin books, mm. or The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin. Absolutely wonderful fiction. But he wrote another book, Many books, actually, all of which I believe I've read. There's Heart of Asia by Watergate. Yeah, Watergate, yeah. So, originally... Yes. Um, we'll come back to David Nobbs shortly, yeah. listeners. Oh, always good to return to your knobs. Mm. Written by David Sylvian and Ryuchi Sakamoto. Released as a single in 1999. Yeah. I assume that was, like, taken from a but sample. It also says, first released in 1983, I think. Forbidden Colours was the original. Ah, David Bowie's in it. David Boy. Yes. Upset purists. That's the kind of thing that the, as well as the robot version of That'll you be, yeah. would not get wrong. Where's the um, do 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 bit? I think it's coming up. Do do do. do. Where's the. Ah! There it is. On the video, we seem to be in some sort of prisoner of war camp. There's Bowie dressed in school uniform. Being beaten up by a guard. Oh, my goodness. It's all very dramatic. Oh, lovely. Yeah, this on a fatigue um, gig. He's holding up a flower to a guard. Now there's some sort of martial arts thing. Uh-huh. I shall return to the subject of Nobbs, David Nobbs, mm. Going Gently, which is an absolutely wonderful book. Mm. There Can is. you tell me about this before? Well, I probably did. Mm. I've only got probably about 17 anecdotes and keep coming around <laughs> over and over again. This woman is, this old woman, who is actually just approaching her 100th birthday, is in a stroke. And she's starting to come to, but she's not revealing that she's come round. Right. And the reason for this... Oh, is there a bit more tea, is there? Yeah, I'm just going to... Oh. 
And the reason for this, and I would definitely recommend you to read this book, Going Gently, David Nobbs, I won't give too much away, but the reason for this is because she is convinced that one of her sons was responsible for the murder of her husband. And you know how when people are in comas, which this person was, yeah. other people around start talking. And her they sons began to open up. And so she was piecing together what had happened based on fragments of conversations that she'd overheard, uh, things that they'd said to her while she was on life support, while she was in this coma. So she was pretending not to be as functional as she actually was. And her aim was, essentially, she wanted to solve this murder before she died. I won't tell you what happens in the book. But that is only part of the story. Because the rest of the story is her internal thought process as she essentially reflects on her life. And so it's a kind of biographical depiction of this woman, where she grew up as a child, as a teenager, all through that. So it's this wonderful, long-form piece. One minute you're in this ward, and she's trying to solve this murder, and her son's talking, and the next, she's by herself. She's got all this time to herself where she's just lying in the ward. So she's got all this time to reflect on her life. And it's wonderful, but the reason I'm telling you this is because she grew up in Wales, and there was mention of the Welsh fruitcake, Badabrith, oh. which was frequently mentioned, so that is how I became aware of Badabrith. Yesterday, yeah. I was having a bit of a jog. Yeah. And it's interesting, because while I was jogging, I started thinking about certain things. Memories were coming to me. Memories from childhood, certain things that I may have not thought about for quite a while. I think I was just in a kind of, a, you know, that pace of just... Jogging at a rhythmic pace, and I think it kind of sent me into a bit of a, a meditative feel. Yeah. And one thing I remember was thinking about was it might be interesting to talk about early childhood memories. So, with that in mind, as Ellie plays with the phone, yeah. what are you doing? I'm just checking my email. It says we're not getting eggs tomorrow. My goodness, more drama there, listeners. And had I known that, I probably wouldn't have cooked four eggs for breakfast. Yeah, well, we're not having much luck with eggs, well, are we? Well, they've said that they just haven't had a delivery, and I guess, you know, hens got to do what they got to do, and uh, you can't force them to lay, especially if you're... And a cock's got to doodle-do what it's got to do. Indeed. But, yeah, you can't force hens to lay, and the whole point of the place that we're getting things from is that they're friendly to the animals and organic and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, yeah. thoughts that came to me. Yeah. I remembered my first ever memory, Ooh. which I have thought about before. My first memory was being in a pushchair. I was in the passageway mm -hmm. of the house, or utility room if you prefer. Mum decided one day that it was going to be called the utility room. <laughs> Don't know where she got these. I think she went to a yoga class and she came back with all sorts of fanciful Ooh, ideas, yeah. including calling the sitting room or living room the lounge and the uh, passage the utility room. Yeah. Uh, it was about that time that she divorced Dad. No, <laughs> she didn't. She went and died instead. But uh... <laughs> Anyway, so, you won't get that from a robot. I was in a pram. I seem to remember it as my Auntie Carol was leaning over the pram and making baby noises. Goochie-goochie-goochie-goo and all that kind of stuff. And I remember at the time, I remember thinking, 
what is she doing? Why doesn't she just speak properly? But I think that last bit, presumably, is an affectation. I think that's something that I've added yeah, in later life. But because I've, this is like an early memory of mine, and I've told this story a few times when asked to cite early memories, yeah. that now seems just as much a part of the story than anything else. Yeah. But I think that can't be true. I was like one and a half or whatever, and I'm thinking, why can't you just talk properly? I also remember having shingles as well, and I must have only been about three then. I remember feeling really despondent and really down about it, obviously. Yeah. But I remember looking forward to Sunday dinner. There was a Sunday dinner cooking and it smelled really nice. I had this Sunday dinner in the first mouthful and it just tasted absolutely horrible because of the shingles. Yeah. Because it affects your taste and everything. Yeah. And it just, I just remember, I still remember that, the dryness of the Yorkshire pudding and the mashed potato. Just so, something that I was really looking forward to. I think that was one of the first times I just thought life isn't all fun and games. No. And I think it was one of the first conscious memories of disappointment. Yeah. Wow. And then I remember. I think that was the turn that we were going to take. <laughs> I remembered, you know, when you're told off about something that's not your fault. Yeah. And you've got that righteous indignation. You're like, I just can't understand this. I've not done anything wrong and I'm being told off and this isn't fair. And when you're a child, that means so much because it's like, well, fair surely I should only get told it? off if I've done something wrong. Yeah. You don't think this can happen. How can this happen in a sane world? It's horrible. And I remember, I must have only been about six or seven or something, the phone rang and I answered the phone. It was yeah. during the day. Dad was at work and I answered the phone and a voice, a woman says, someone's been killed in Hartlepool. And I could still hear that voice and the way it sounded. Did that voice realise that it was a child they were talking to, or did they just... I think what happened was, this was some weird prank and it was just a teenager or right. another kid just saying something ridiculous. We live in Hartlepool, so it wasn't just like a random player's name or anything. No. And I can't remember exactly what I did at that moment, but I was sort of absolutely fearful. Because yeah. when you're a child, you just take something like that really seriously. You don't yeah. even go think to ask any more questions. So I ran to mum. I don't know if I put the phone down, but I ran to mum and I told her what had happened. I said, someone's rang up and said someone is being killed in Hartlepool. And my mum, because I was looking for protection. I was looking yeah. for some... She didn't believe me. She thought that I was making, up, making a up a story, like doing a joke. And she was really annoyed with me. And she said, look, your dad's at work. You know, something could have happened to him or something yeah. like that. You can't do this. And, I'm like, and she just didn't believe that I hadn't made this story up. And so I had... The problem was twofold. And I don't think I ever spoke to my mum about this before she died. I just remember that feeling of unfairness, but also still the fear of like, well, what was that voice? Mm. Who was it? And no one's believed me. But that one moment pervaded in my mind for years. Many a night was I kept awake. If it was dark and I felt a bit scared and that voice would come back to me. Someone's been killed in Hartlepool. And that person who played that prank would have no idea the impact that they would have had. But I was told off by my mum. She wouldn't believe me. But then even years later it would come back to me and I'd have nightmares about it. Someone's been killed in Hartlepool. And that person who played the prank, they would have absolutely no idea that those two seconds of that person talking to me had such a massive impact and traumatised me in a way. Gave me nightmares. Someone's been killed in Hartlepool. It's the kind of thing you would get in an episode of Paul Temple, that kind of cryptic mm. clue. Somebody's been killed in Hartlepool. Then the person would ring off. 
Paul Temple would rattle the phone and bang the phone and go, hello, hello, and it would take him a good 30 seconds of banging the phone and rattling it to realise that the person's hung up. Yeah, so there's my earliest oh. childhood memories that suddenly came into my head while I was jogging. Jogging okay. my memories. Yes. Do you have any early childhood um, memories, Ellie? Well, and one of mine Or, is... should I say, Ellie childhood memories, perhaps. Continue. No, you Continue. <laughs> you won't get that with a you won't get that with a robot, people. No. One of my earliest ones is also in a pushchair. My dad was a model maker and he had a workshop down a, a section called Draymond's Walk in Brackley. And it had cobbled stones on the path there. And I remember being in the pushchair and the feeling of going along the cobbles. The blah 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 blah, blah noise if you tried to talk over it. And then, That's the B-side to Heart of Asia, then. Yeah, pretty much. I used to, when I was younger, have a recurring nightmare. Oh, I was thinking about talking about yeah. recurring nightmares. I've got so, one as well. What was yours? Mine was, I had been quite ill with a fever. As I said, Dad was a model maker, and his job at that point, he was making the prototypes for Weebles. So if you remember the 70s, 80s toy Weebles, they were like egg-shaped with figurines and stuff on the top. So Weebles wobble but never fall down. So I must have had this in my mind and it must have been at eight, something like that. I was really sick with a fever. I thought I was going to be sick. I'd got out of bed in the middle of the night and I was yelling for dad. And I had this hallucination of me being on top of a hill surrounded by Weebles. And there was a little stereotypical Chinese Weeble who was the king of them and he fell down the hill and he didn't get up again and all the other weebles grew to like eight nine feet tall around me and were rocking in on me and going you've killed the king you've killed the king and then I was calling for dad because I was upset and they were like you've killed dad you've killed dad he's not coming and then I threw up in the doorway and then he did come wow what is going on with you? Like, <laughs> so what happens things. in the brain there? So many things. So I had a bit of a fear of weebles for a while. And even if people mentioned them, I just kind of shudder. But because it was a recurring dream, it wasn't the whole thing. It was just that they were coming after me. It wasn't that I'd murdered my own father. But it was always accompanied by this feeling in my mouth. When we were little and we were in the bath, you might, like, chew on the sponge. So it's the feeling of, like, a sponge in your mouth. That was the feeling. And if I got that feeling, I knew I was then going to have like a, a weeble flashback. Wow. If anybody is a psychotherapist who's listening. Yeah. To... That'd be very interesting. But I had that for three or four years. That's really interesting because I had a recurring nightmare and it really freaked me out. And I think I had it from like five or something. And it went on. I think the last time I might have had it, I might have been like 10 or 11. So basically what would happen is I would hear, I'd be in bed and I'd hear this sound coming up the stairs, footsteps coming up the stairs. And then this voice would say something like, and it was a woman's voice, a very low woman's voice. Mm -hmm. She'd say something like, the classic for her would be, I'm coming to get you. But she'd also sometimes say, where are you? And that kind of thing, I can see you yeah. and all of this. And she'd come closer and I would be absolutely petrified. I can't say really that much of what happened next, apart from I was sort of... And I don't remember the point of contact when she actually got me. Mm. And I don't know if that's because the brain is it was so powerful that it's kind of filtered that bit out. So I remember the first bit. But I know that I was like dragged into a tunnel. And the silly thing is, what happened in the tunnel, I don't really remember. I think it was just a load of like me sort of panicking and sort of laughing sounds and that kind yeah. of thing. 
But I was absolutely freaked out by this, and it would happen seemingly on a daily basis, or a nightly basis. Anyway, but the weird thing was, it, it eventually sort of subsided, but I really hated this nightmare. But then, it would come back now and again. It would come back in the weirdest ways, in the most innocuous scenes. And I remember once, I mustn't have had it for about a year or something. And this is the last time it happened, I think, when I was 10. And I remember being in Cubs or something like that. I think that'd be about right for 10, or maybe Beavers. And someone was saying, oh, do you want a glass of orange juice, one of the helpers? So I went to get the orange juice, and as I did, everything sort of disappeared. And the woman went, I said I was coming to get you. Oh. But it's so real. So real. Well, who would have thought we'd come to this from yeah, tea and cake? Yeah, tea and cake. What I'd like to know, yeah. what song Claire would like yeah. and what song anybody else would like. And we could do a medley of songs before Friday comes. Tomorrow, I think we have planned, I think we have a phone conversation uh, with a very special guest. I should try and convince you that it's definitely not me. <laughs> People don't seem to be... Do they think that every guest you have on um, is you? They probably do now, yeah. Wow. They're probably going back going, was Ray Hearn real? Was Boothby Grapho real? But yes. for now, Ellie, for me, David Weeble. I mean, David Eagle. Oh, you should have seen you a flinch. not funny? <laughs> that. <laughs> you're, you're really flinched there, isn't it? Because I don't like Weebles. I know. From me, David Eagle. And from her, Ellie Skinner. Goodbye. <laughs>